This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Slow Mag. Seven out of 10 Americans don't get enough magnesium from their diet alone. We talked about that on my podcast with Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Thankfully, there's Slow Mag. It's a daily magnesium supplement with magnesium chloride plus calcium for proper muscle function. It's one of the best ways to get the magnesium your muscles need, especially as you get older and your muscles stop functioning the way they used to. I've been taking it for a while now. Take two before I go to bed. Feel like it helps me relax a little bit. Doesn't upset my stomach. Super good. If you want to try to get more information about this, go to slowmag.com slash manliness. Again, it's slowmag.com slash manliness and some legal disclosure here. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Modern life has given us a lot of convenience. With the tap of our smartphone screen and without ever leaving our house, we can order a car to our door or a hot dinner or even replenish our toilet paper supply. And right now, you're listening to this podcast how and when you want to. Yes, life is good in the 21st century. But what if there's such a thing as too much convenience? What if it's actually enslaving us in some strange way? Well, that's what my guest today argues. His name is Tim Wu. He's a professor of law at Columbia Law school and the author of several books, including The Attention Merchants. And today on the show, Tim and I discuss the tyranny of convenience. We begin with a brief history of convenience, discussing how it became a driving force in the economy and in our culture in the late 19th century, and how Tim believes we're at the beginning of a second convenience revolution. He then discusses how convenience can make us feel more free and unique, but actually limits our freedom and makes us like everyone else. Tim then shares some ideas on how to inject some healthy inconvenience in your life for more happiness, freedom, and fulfillment. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash Convenience. We can find links to resources where we can delve deeper into this topic. And Tim joins me now via clearcast.io. Tim Wu, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure. So back in February, you wrote an op-ed piece for the New York Times called The Tyranny of Convenience. I'm curious, what got you thinking about the implications of a culture and an economy like ours that puts a premium on making things as convenient and as easy as possible? You know, I'm really interested in things that affect your life very strongly, but in a way are hidden or, or, or less obvious. And one of them is, for some years now, has struck me as this kind of obsession with convenience that in its own way seems to rule our lives. And, you know, I kind of started to notice that what I like to call my preferences, uh, you know, I like to cook charcoal, we're being trumped by, you know, the idea that, well, yeah, but it's not really convenient. And so, you know, someone who's kind of interested in freedom and autonomy and and things like that, I was like, you know, who's really in charge here? Is it me or is this like thing called uh, convenience? Uh, I'll add to it, I think also... I've had the experience, and maybe other people have had too, where you have a lot of technologies in your life that are supposed to make everything really convenient, but somehow it doesn't quite seem to work out the way you think. You know, you have a microwave, and you have email, and you have text messages, and you have this computer, extremely powerful, almost like miraculous technologies. But it's not like I walk through life like I'm on a cloud. Um, <laughs> and I was like, where did we go wrong somewhere here? So it was kind of... Uh, that sort of thing, like, you know, where where is this utopia I was promised? 
Well, isn't it, I mean, isn't it a drive for humans since like ancient times to, you know, use tools to make life easier? I mean, that's what made, makes us human, right? Like the, you know, the little hand tools you see about from prehistoric man-made, that was, that made things easier. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And so I, I don't in any way uh, think that I am against tools. I think that like all good things, it's kind of a question of you know doing it right, and so so I I deeply believe that you know our tools are identity, and I guess that's why I think we need to be more careful about it. I think that tools can expand who you are, how you live in different dimensions, and if you just reduce it to one dimension, i.e., making things more convenient, then you miss out on a lot of what life offers. You know, just to give a classic example, if you're learning to play an instrument, you know, that's not exactly a very convenient choice. It's an important tool, you know, guitar, violin, or or drums, but it's not going to make it easier to listen to music. Actually, if you want that, you can buy uh, yourself a stereo that kind of takes care of it. So, you know, there's other dimensions of our lives that are revealed by our choices and tools. And what I think sometimes is, is that we have kind of reduced ourselves narrowed ourselves to this one axis you know does it make life easier <laughs> does it kind of get me to my goal with less i guess time or or thinking or effort and you know if you start to make that your life it becomes all destination no journey and frankly i think you become a very are in danger of of missing out on a lot of life and, and becoming a narrow person. Yeah, that's an interesting point you made earlier just now about how the tools, you know, they not only we they not only allow us to shape the world, but when we, we use a tool, it shapes us as well. I think there's a phrase like the tool works at both ends is one that I heard. So as you're using a tool, it's also changing you in a weird way as well. Yeah, I mean another way of thinking about it is that the tool is you and you know, that we are kind of defined by it. But I also like your idea or, or the idea that it that it changes you. you know, I'm one of these people who thinks the, the goal of life is uh, self-development, uh, you know, finding out uh, kind of what you could be, building building character, uh, so to speak. And there's no question that the, that the tool choice and tool usage is, is a big part of that. And, you know, most of us realize that. I think another reason I wrote this is, I was thinking about the things that the tools I like best, and you know they tend to be related to my hobbies. I have a lot, probably too many hobbies, you know. So like my hockey stick, I like to play hockey, I like to surf, you know, all these things that the tool becomes so so important and frankly so treasured. Uh, yet we also spend an awful lot of time at work, and a lot of time, a lot of time, you know, with other tasks in life, and and there we're kind of reducing ourselves. Now, you know, obviously there's certain things you can't always do, you know, the old school way. And maybe there's something about hobbies where we take more time for them. But I, I started to think there was something important about, you know, living life the best you could in this whole question of tools. And frankly, the decision not to make convenience the overriding value in the choice of tools. So we said, you know, humans have always been trying to make things easier life easier with tools but in the the piece you wrote you argued that this like quest for convenience became like an obsession 
in the late 19th and early 20th centuries with sort of that second industrial revolution that occurred during that period. What are some of the examples of convenience technologies that popped up in this during this time? Yeah, you're exactly right. I think the convenience revolution, uh, as we as we know it, was born, and I think in a, in a worthy way, with the promise of liberation. I think, frankly, that the earliest convenience liberation even though this is the art of manliness, was directed mainly at women. There was an observation that, that women you know, spent most of their lives in drudgery, whether it was spending all day uh, washing clothing, cooking foods in incredibly laborious ways, or, or keeping a house clean. And one of the ideas is that women could only really become emancipated or have some life of their own uh, if they had tools that saved them labor. And so I, the convenience revolution, frankly, is born there. And I think these are its noble origins. I mean, there is something to be said for a life that is something other than total drudgery. And that, that's it. So, so some of the conveniences in the, that are the early, the first generation are, are like the washing machine, the vacuum cleaner, even things like basic cleaning solutions like Old Dutch. You know, these were big revolutions, uh, rolled oats, so-called instant foods, which are not really instant by our standards, but I guess just reduce the amount of time for cooking, uh, like pork and beans. <laughs> uh, these, these were the big, the big revolutions of the late 19th century. And, and it continued, though, even through like the 1950s. I mean, every, you look at these, those mid-century depictions of what life would be like in the future, and it was just like this wonderful utopia where robots did everything. You know, you have the Jetsons where you, they have sidewalks that just move. You don't have to walk. I mean, they really thought this would be in a, 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 this like utopia and like we'd be living in it right now, but it didn't turn out that way. I think there was a period, uh, and I think it reached its apex in the 1950s, where the future and the utopic version of it was defined by total convenience in all possible aspects of life. And uh, you described some of them, but uh, some people may remember it. You know, you push a button, your, your food arrives, you push another button, you, you arrive at work through a teleportation machine, push another button, all your work gets done. So, you know, life becomes about uh, pushing buttons. In some ways, we kind of live in that era. I mean, you can push a button and something will be delivered. You can push another button and a message gets sent to somebody in Japan. You know, we, we do push buttons, but one thing we're starting to noticing is that sitting around pushing buttons all day does not make necessarily for the most satisfying life. And <laughs> I'll add to it that there is a skill in pushing buttons repeatedly and multiply. It's called multitasking. And we are sort of in danger of becoming a society where the only skill that matters is multitasking. And the only way you live is you sort of decide that which will be done as opposed to doing it yourself. And, you know, that's to me a, sort of a diminished way of living. But it's certainly true that in the 1950s, you know, that, was, that was kind of the, the dream. Yeah. So, I mean, not only did people, I mean, even you even saw that in the Jetsons where sort of the shtick was here they are in this utopia, but the technology like messes up their lives. You know, George, you know, gets caught in some bathing machine and it mangles him up or something. 
and it also you just kind of feel unsatisfied with life. So not only is this you know convenience like it's unsatisfying, but you also argue, and I think this is really interesting, is that convenience can actually end up enslaving us or limiting our choices. How so? Yeah, I, when in the sense it ends up taking over your preferences. I, I want to discuss an example from the fifties. I think it's kind of a turning point. Yeah, it wasn't in the article. It was an earlier draft, which was the development of something called the, the baby box, or I guess the baby tender. Uh, there was a scientist named B.F. Skinner who is famous for his experiments on pigeons, and he was very caught up in the idea of the convenience revolution, and so uh, he invented this technology, which um, was supposed to greatly reduce uh, the burdens of childcare, especially for babies and toddlers. And so yeah, basically it was a box and you put your baby in there and uh, I guess it was warm. So the baby didn't need clothes and, you know, baby couldn't get that far. So it just sat in the box all day and, you know, you kind of put in food from a little, little door or something like that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was sort of supposed to take care of all of childcare. I think it had a little thing where you, the baby could drink if it wanted, uh, you know, obviously <laughs> breast milk, but. Uh, oh, it sounds like a hamster. Yeah, a little like a hamster cage, I guess, you know, and so, you know, he expected this was going to be his great, greatest invention and expected to become a millionaire, but, you know, lo and behold, it wasn't popular. Actually, he put his own daughter in it, by the way. Oh, jeez. She she was the experimental uh, test subject, which, you know, is a dedication to science, which is uh, rare in our times. But yeah, so so people weren't into it. It didn't sell well. I actually sold 300 or so, which is actually a little more than I would expect, but no, it didn't, it didn't become a blockbuster hit. And it, I guess it, there was something in there, some lesson. Uh, there was other you know, problems at the time, instant cake miss, mix. It uh, wasn't as popular as people thought. You know, just add water, have a cake. And you know, I, th- I think that a little bit of this enslavement problem was sort of showing up. People were thinking, well, you know, there, there's some, some parts of life that, that seem to be going missing here when it's only about convenience. And in some ways, parts of the counterculture were sort of about, well, you know, rediscovering this idea of um, having a, a human role in things. You know, it wasn't always articulated as anti-convenience, but, you know, when you think of sort of the, some hippie dude living, uh, you know, in the woods, you know, without a, without a safety razor, that, <laughs> that that is sort of a rejection of, of conveniences. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I think, there, there was a sense uh, that it contributed. It was a sense of being bound. Right, because those convenience tools, in order for them to be convenient, you have to use them in a certain way, right? So it strips you of agency. Right, that, that's right. It's sort of like, it, it is sort of the trump card. You know, if you only uh, go places where the parking is convenient, well, then like suddenly your freedom of movement <laughs> has become constrained. There's, there's an example. And speaking of these, uh, you know, reactions to these, you know, the, this first convenience revolution you talked about, you know, there, you mentioned one, there was one in the counterculture revolution of the sixties and seventies, where you had hippies going off to communes and growing their own food and making their own music with whatever. But I mean, you also saw this even in the early 20th, late 19th century. I mean, this is during that time. That's when the whole arts and crafts movement started where, People decided, I'm going to make my own chair and my own table and build it with my own hands. I'm not going to use this mechanized, mass-produced stuff. And we still see that today, that sort of ethos, like, I'm going to build a table by myself. Why? Well, because it's not convenient. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a constant kind of uh, counter-revolution, and I think it's noble. 
you know, I, I think that uh, the human spirit rebels against kind of a, a loss of meaning. And, you know, I might say this later, but I think that uh, we are actually constantly fighting convenience, uh, but we kind of disguise it from ourselves by calling it our hobbies, you know. And so pe people do something utterly ridiculous, like building a... Uh, a battleship out of plastic, which is like not convenient. You can order one from China at half the price or not even half the price at a fraction, but you know, you call it your hobby or, you know, you, you ride a bicycle to work or something or, or and frankly, most of the things that people think of as um, deep in meaning are often kind of inconvenient. Although we're funny because we introduce conveniences in, in our inconveniences. So, you know, we'll play golf, but you know, I'm going to play golf. I, I need to, <laughs> you know, I want I want it to be convenient to play golf. I want, uh, you know, the driving range near my house. The, the little balls just kind of come up by themselves. You know, to pick them and put them up. But you know, playing golf inherently is not a, like what is playing golf? You're doing something inherently slightly ridiculous, although it, it's fun. So, yeah. So we <laughs> that that that's the paradox. So you the first convenience revolution kickstarted in the 19th, early 20th century went through the 1950s. You argue in the piece that we're in a midst of a second convenience revolution. How is this one different from that first one? Yeah, that's a great question. So you know, uh, there was this movement in the 60s and 70s, uh, the 50s, too conformist. You know, we we we're not free to be us. And I think there was an important commercial reaction to the, those uh, changes. Uh, frankly, you saw it first in advertising when advertisers, for example, uh, companies like Pepsi, started associating their brands with freedom and and the era of you know long hair, do what you want, live a different way. You know, Pepsi, the choice of the Pepsi generation. So that started in advertising, but then technologists kind of glommed onto this and said, "Hey, we know you want, we want." You want to be you, but what we're going to do is make it more convenient to be you. And you know, I, I would think one of the first great examples of this is the is the Sony Walkman. So you know, now you have this man walking down the street, and he is kind of in his own perfect little bubble of self-expression. You know, he's listening to his jazz, or maybe he's listening to Black Sabbath, or Maybe he's into 70s funk. I'm not sure. But, you know, he, he is himself. And uh, he's experiencing kind of pleasures that were previously only possible in his den. Uh, but he's got his whole, you know, system with him. And so Sony has now made it more convenient to be you. Sony has made your exercise of choice more convenient. And, and when you look at most, if not all, of our convenience technologies today, they're not actually trying to jam you, at least obviously, into some kind of mold. They're at least promising from the outset that, hey, I'm going to help you be you. So, you know, on Amazon, you can buy whatever you want. You know, the original idea of Amazon when it was just books was, oh, you know, you don't need to just buy these bestsellers that are for the masses. You know, you can buy whatever strange book that really is, is all about you and you know google you know it's not like you're being pre-fed this feed of news from the media or whatever it's like whatever you are that that's that's who you'll be and facebook i guess was like here's your friends and, and your network friendster before that uh, so so but you can keep in touch with them know what they're up to 
you know, without having to, to go hang out with them. <laughs> so, so that, that's freeing and, um, and, and convenient individuality. Let's put it that way. But you argue that this convenience to be ourselves, you know, we think it's going to make us more unique and more individual, but you argue that it ends up actually homogenizing society. Uh, how so? Yeah, I think it's, like many things, at the core, I actually do believe there there, there is some promise there. I, I, I think, you know, it has in some ways become easier to be you. I mean, yeah, let, let's face it, you can buy obscure, strange books and on Amazon. I don't want to discount that. Um, you know, recently I got into sort of Neoplatonian philosophy for whatever reason, <laughs> known only to myself. And, you know, those books are kind of hard to find. But, you know, there they all are on, on Amazon. Um, and uh, so there's something to it, but there is a strange counter effect where, you know, where even though supposedly on Facebook, everybody is like their own thing. We have a weird way of making this all kind of seem the same. And, you know, everyone's on Gmail and on Google. And for some reason, it has this kind of um, counterintuitive homogenizing power. And that, that's kind of one of, it's almost like a mystery. I think that sometimes the the promise of individuality can kind of be a, a little bit of a mirage because at other levels you are also submitting to a kind of conformity and you know you have all the choices i mean just consider let, let's pick on walmart for a second so you know walmart offers a lot more choices than uh the general store in a small town right so in a way they enable individuality but if every town seems the same you know and has all the same things then there's sort of a a grander homogenization that happens and yeah i think that's one of the real challenges in our era is sort of seeing through the idea that choice is the same thing as individuality and that you know self-development is nothing more than than exercising choice in the easiest way possible i mean we talk about this a bit later but there is something more. There, 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 there's a struggle, I think, that really defines character. Maybe, you know, relevant to this podcast has something to do with the development of manliness. And uh, that is, is missing. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. I'm always trying to learn as much as I can. I'm sure it's the same for you because you're an Art of Manliness podcast listener. You're a curious person. One thing I recommend you guys check out is the Great Courses Plus. It's a streaming service created for people like us. If you haven't signed up yet, you need to. You can learn from the best professors in the world and experts about anything that interests you. History, philosophy, science, business, photography, martial arts, music, you name it, they've got it. They've got over 10,000 fascinating lectures. And when you sign up for The Great Courses Plus, you get unlimited access to all of them. You can watch or listen along anytime, anywhere with The Great Courses Plus app. One course I've been listening to lately is a course on cognitive behavioral therapy. Basically shows the links between our thoughts, emotions, behaviors, and how we can use that information for self-improvement, how we can use cognitive behavioral therapy to break bad habits, diffuse anger, beat procrastination, sleep better. We've had podcasts about this. We've had psychologists. It's a, it's a very robust way to improve yourself. Check it out. It's been really interesting. And I know you're going to get so much out of the Great Courses Plus. So I've arranged a special limited time offer for you, a free month of unlimited access to enjoy this and any other lectures. But to get this offer, you must sign up through my special URL. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash manliness to start your free month today. Again, the Great Courses Plus. 
dot com slash manliness to start your free month of unlimited access to all their courses today. Also buy Saks underwear. When it comes to your wardrobe, your underwear often gets overlooked. But if you have an uncomfortable pair of underwear, that can just that can just break your day because you're always having to adjust things. It's chafing, it's riding up. You don't have that problem with Saks underwear because it's the only men's underwear that actually is designed with our anatomy in mind. First off, they use comfortable fabrics, moisture wicking, breathable, great for when you live in a hot, humid place. And they've got their supportive design with the ballpark pouch, but does exactly what you think it does. Keeps everything nice and separate down there. So no more friction, chafing, sticking, or having to adjust yourself. Saks is great. They got some new stuff out. I really like the Quest. It's really comfortable, nice and cool. Great for travel. In fact, Gear Patrol named it one of the best travel underwears out. So that's the quest at Saks Underwear. If you want to try Saks Underwear too, got a great offer for you. You can get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase. But to get this offer, you need to use my promo code manliness. So here it is. Go to SaksUnderwear.com, promo code manliness, get $5 off. Again, it's Saks Underwear. That's two X's, S-A-X-X, Underwear.com. Use promo code manliness and get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase. And now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, so this idea, I mean, kind of what you're arguing is that in the piece is that struggle, like you need to bump up against things that are frustrating and inconvenient and annoying in order to really truly develop yourself as a unique individual. Right. You know, sometimes I don't know if there are really any shortcuts in life. I mean, maybe there are some, <laughs> but uh, there's such a thing as sort of a cheap individuality, a, a superficial individuality uh, and I think it's different than the real thing and I think the I think what makes the difference is the is the struggle you know because it's relatively easy to you know, go out and buy clothes and look look different than other people but to to re- you sort of develop yourself into someone requires I think confronting challenges and facing them in your own way and and seeing where it takes you uh, win and lose. It means having like lost in serious ways sometimes, but also having won and kind of follow the path that is a real path. And I, I think the problem with convenience choices is they take that out of it. You know, I mean, I oversimplify that, but there's something that happens to you in climbing a mountain that doesn't quite happen when you get on the trolley. But you end up in the same place. There's no question. But you know something about you has has become transformed when you when you undertake a serious and, and challenging mountain climb, and yeah, that's maybe the best way I can I can capture it. And the difference you can call it the struggle, you can call it the confrontation of nature itself. If you're religion religious, you might say you're encountering God <laughs> or God's limits. Those are I think the most worthwhile of activities, the ones where you are actually facing nature directly, uh, seeing the face of it, either seeing your own body's limits, maybe like in long distance running, long distance runners, you know, understand and are intimately familiar with the ways in which their body starts to fail and starts to hurt. Or or it can mean facing strongly and directly uh, just that straight, kind of arbitrary and infinitely complex yet somewhat predictable nature of our environment itself <laughs> and you know and that is you know revealed any rock climber who has sort of struggled with gravity and the strange ways in which friction can can pull you up or not 
or anyone who surfs and, and starts to develop an intuitive sense of, of how waves work and, and understand why one wave throws you on your face and another one pulls you out. Um, yeah, th those aren't things that you click on, on, a, on a button to get. <laughs> those have to be earned the hard way. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like this sort of, I mean, we'll call it cult of convenience. It thinks what we really want is the end result. But in reality, oftentimes what we really, the thing that really gives us meaning and satisfaction is working towards that result. I mean, I've had this happen in my own life when I've accomplished a, a, a big long-term goal. I accomplish it and then I feel kind of good. And then right away I'm like, okay, that was kind of disappointing. It wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't as I didn't feel as good as I thought I would feel. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes it can feel feel pretty good. But I agree. If if you sort of are fixated in that moment where you you get what you want, it doesn't last very long. <laughs> you know, if you think I keep going back to these hobbies, but like surfing, you know, you, you got to have some appreciation for the parts other than the moment you're on the wave because that only lasts a second or two. Or you know, another example is fishing. I like to fish and, you know, how often are you actually catching the fish? You know, most of the time you're kind of sitting there. But people love fishing, love it. And, uh, you know, uh, so it, it does uh, something. And I think you're, you know, exactly right that somewhere in there is, is, uh, is uh, it might overstate it to say the meaning of life, but certainly some of Deepest Life's satisfactions. So you wrote a book a few years ago called The Attention Merchants. I'm curious... How do your thoughts about this tyranny of convenience tie in with what you wrote about in that book? That's a great question I've never answered before. You know, I think they're, they're related. So that the attention merchants is about this resource called human time and attention. And basically, the premise of the book is that our, our time and attention in particular are... are very valuable. They're they're sort of the fuel by which we do anything or accomplish anything we really want to accomplish in life, which I think may, people might think is obvious. But maybe less obvious is the fact that we've somehow allowed the development of industries whose primary job is to take as much attention as they can from us, sometimes giving stuff in return, but sometimes it's not particularly a great deal. You know, I, I guess that book was inspired by that experience, which I've had it. I don't know if your listeners have had where you you know sort of start to write an email. You have the idea of using picking up your computer and you you, you want to write one email, and then suddenly like two hours go by and you try to figure out what happened. And I just feel there's an industry trying to suck out all of our time and attention from us without giving us enough money or anything else in return and taking something from us. So the question is, how is that related to the the culture of convenience? I think they're related in several ways. Uh, so one is the sense that in some ways it is convenience itself that is the, the, the weapon that leads us to allow our attention to be, to be sucked away. Uh, you know, you sort of lose willpower. It, it becomes just much easier to sit around, uh, kind of do nothing. And so it's kind of a combination. And, and I think that kind of... Um, stagnation happens to a lot of people and uh, i think i think they act uh, together and i guess more broadly they're related i don't know philosophically or in terms of what i believe in 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 the sense that both books are all about trying to recognize you know some of the forces that are in your life 
and trying to recognize you have to resist sometimes or make some pretty uh, hard choices if you want to be somebody. You know, unfortunately, in the United States, if you kind of go with the tide, you'll end up in debt, overweight, you know, addicted to social media, sitting in front of the TV for, for 40 hours a week, and probably, you know, won't have a meaningful family life if you even have a family or any friends. So, you know, you actually have to sort of resist. And I think we've kind of created, maybe it's always been like this. I'm not going to pretend that there's been like some environment, you know, maybe ancient Greece where everybody like lived in, in this kind of meaningful way all the time. But, you know, if you want to have a life of meaning, if you want to be somebody, you got to take, uh, take charge. And uh, both books are really about that process. Both books are designed to create citizens worthy of that title. And in some ways, restore us, I think, some of the older traditions of, of both the American Republic, but also uh, you know, ancient ideas of, of what the meaning of life is. So let's talk about you know practical things we can do. I'm giving some pretty big speeches here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic. You've, you've inspired me. You, you are. You've inspired me with some pretty big speeches. No, yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I am enjoying it. Yeah. Let, let's talk about some some brass tacks thing we can do to resist this culture of convenience. So you, throughout the podcast, you've been mentioning your hobbies you take part in, and yeah. you argue that hobbies are something. They're basically inconveniences we do for fun. So you mentioned you fish. You surf, you play hockey. What are some other hobbies that you've taken up that are super inconvenient but give you a lot of satisfaction in life? Yeah, I, I, um, I guess that's a great question. I'm a, uh, I have too many actually. I guess I, I live by my words. So I don't know if it's quite a hobby, but I do cook uh, most of the food in our house. And I have two, two small daughters, and it gives me uh, satisfaction. Obviously, it's not the most convenient thing, uh, although I've gotten pretty quick. At cooking, I uh, as I said earlier, I like to surf, which is certainly not convenient. Uh, I, I don't know if there's any substitute for surfing. It's sort of more of a of a pure hobby. I like sports like hockey. I, I like to sail, and which is certainly not the easiest way of getting from from A to B. And I like to. I have a we have a cottage, and I, I like to to fish, which is. Obviously, not the easiest way to get food for your household. In fact, the fish don't always taste that good. It's certainly not better than the ones you can buy. So, so yeah, I kind of am I'm always doing this. Now, on the other hand, I haven't, uh, you know, when I wrote that New York Times piece. People reached out to me. Some people like rural Idaho, they're like, you know, you should live like we do. We make all our own food, <laughs> you know, chop all our own wood. I, I do chop my own wood. I enjoy that. But in fact, I think from your website, I got some good tips from for, for uh, using a mall. But I, I, I'm not at the extreme, uh, you know, I'm connected to society. I, here I am using a computer, you know, I have a, a smartphone that you know, somewhat try not to let it take over my life. So I, I haven't really, com- I don't completely uh, live by, by this. I, I'm not uh, totally uh, rejecting of all forms of, of convenience. I just think, returning to what we were talking about earlier, I really do believe that, uh, you know, the choice of tools in our life and the way you spend your attention are like two of the most fundamental decisions you can make as to who you are. And, you know, ideally they come together. It's another way the ideas are connected is, you know, you want to use tools, uh, devote your attention you have to tools which you feel, uh, you know, are character building or, or do something for you. And, you, you know, when you're done with it, you, you just can tell. I, I don't know if... 
if you're like me, but I think you can tell after an experience what effect you feel it's had on it. Some make you feel sick and sort of degraded and, you know, like, what was I doing? Sometimes feel like that after after too much time on, on the web. But <laughs> and other things, you know, sort of seem to bring you forward. I mean, a big one, I obviously spend a lot of time writing. And so the computer, I don't want to sort of just completely castigate the computer. Computer can actually bring you in, in some important directions, you know. A lot of the writing I've done, most meaningful writing, was on. It's not like it was on some 1920s typewriter. It's on a computer, and you know that has has brought me a, a lot of places. So, but that that's kind of my my prescription, I guess, if you want to put it uh, put it together. Right. I think this could uh, not only can you do this with your hobbies, but also with your relationships as well. Maybe choose a more inconvenient way to interact with those around us might actually bring more meaning or satisfaction. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that. Cause usually when I, you know, I wrote that piece in New York times or some of the talk, some things, and then I'll usually get an email saying that's a very male centric way to think about like tools is the only thing that matter in life. <laughs> what about your, you know, what about human relationships? And I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's a, it's a little, it's a little different, but I, I do think um, some of what I said earlier about convenience and the sort of superficial superficiality versus depth can can apply to your relationships. So, you know, when your relationships with other people, it's it's easier to keep people at arm's length. It's kind of more convenient, and uh, some people it's necessary even. But uh, you know, there is something to be learned from being in the same physical space as other people and just sort of being fully exposed to all of what they are. I can't, I, you know, would be lying to say that that is a painless process. In fact, it can at times be compared to that mountain climb I was talking about. Uh, and anyone who's been in a long marriage knows that there are periods of, of serious suffering uh, for most of us involved. I don't, uh, my, my wife is a lovely person. We're, we're deeply in love and have a happy marriage. But I, I would be lying to say that it's, you know, uh, been like, you know, the world world blender all the time. You just push a button, everything works great. Um, no, it, it's challenging, but but I think it's basically the same principles. And in fact, you're being closely involved with another uh, human per- person is a lot like what I was talking about. It is uh, very coming very close to to a direct encounter with nature itself. You know, it's not like you're hacking through the jungle with a machete. But in some ways, uh, it's sort of the human version of it. You're kind of navigating the challenging project of coexisting with other people who actually have their own consciousness, their own preferences, their own lives, and don't necessarily know everything you do. And I can't say uh, I'm the most successful at that, but it's certainly uh, something that makes life worth it. Yeah, it takes skill. And whenever you, I've, I've had those experiences where you've had a deft, social encounter and it feels fantastic yeah compared to you know just sort of sending a text message it's there's something yeah something more grittier about it that makes makes it more fun i don't know if that's the right word i mean i'll add something i don't it doesn't have to all be sort of dark i i I take a lot of times i you know i like going out for drinks with my friends that's like one of my hobbies maybe i should have said that earlier we have a couple bars we like to go and we go there and we drink I don't know to excess, but we, we like to, you know, drink and just talk about whatever. And, you know, that kind of human experience, there's no replica for it. 
you know, sitting in a kind of quiet bar, bartender, friendly bartender, not too crowded, not screaming, and just like chatting about whatever with, with your drinking buddies. I think like that is, that is to me close to a religious experience is uh, <laughs> as blasphemous as that right. may sound, <laughs> you know, and the hours, you know, it's, it's going well, you know, hours kind of drift by, but that, not in a way like on TV or Facebook, you're like, what am I doing? It's more like this is just, just, just the core of, of, uh, of living. So yeah, I think I think uh, I, I seek out those kind of experiences, and uh, you know they're, they're available to us. And but here's the thing: you have to be intentional about it because the 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 tide wants to make things convenient for you, so you have to actively resist it. Yes, that, that's right. I, you know, I think we have an environment which kind of through the force of convenience, it's an invisible thing. It's so alluring that, that that's what's so interesting about it. It's not like you know the old idea totalitarian government putting you in prison it's more just like you, you coast along easy street you make all the the easy decisions you know you, you kind of eliminate difficulty in your life and next thing you know it's like well have you really lived and it's so interesting you look back at your life and what kind of parts of it that mattered or or and you know they often involve certain as i've said before certain levels of 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 pain now they can also involve deep elation as well but uh, you know our, our tendency to try to avoid the highs and the lows or avoid the highs because you're afraid of the lows yeah it's not worthy of a of a society of a country that's supposed to be the home of the free and the land of the brave or maybe i got that backwards <laughs> but uh, yeah i think courage has really gets summoned to the the greek virtues that we sort of lost our our our, our courage along the way and yeah, I think that's a big part of this. Yeah. Well, also another virtue we've lost is phronesis, that sort of practical wisdom. Like, you know what to do in whatever situation because you've developed your judgment through direct experience. Right. Well, Tim, this has been a great conversation. Is there anywhere else people can go to learn more about your work? Well, I have a, the book that you described, The Attention Merchants, which is available to all fine uh, bookstores. And I, I I'm not offended if you wish to click one button to buy it on Amazon. And uh, I guess you go back and read that article, Tyranny of Convenience, which is on the New York Times. And I don't know, just, you know, do a couple searches. And I, I'm always writing stuff for the, for the Times and I always write new books. So uh, th- there you have it. There you go. Well, Tim Wu, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. My guest today was Tim Wu. He's the author of the book, The Attention Merchants. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can also find out more information about his work at timwu.org. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash convenience, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. And if you're looking for a way or a systematic way or a program to help you inject some healthy inconvenience into your life, check out our membership program, The Strenuous Life at strenuouslife.co. That's what the whole premise is designed to do. It's designed to inject some inconvenience or as we call friction into your life a little bit more difficult so you can find that fulfillment that you get that tim was talking about so check it out strenuouslife.co we've had over 3,000 people sign up and hope to see you there as always thank you for your continued support and until next time this is brett mckay telling you to stay manly